so grateful to feel the presence and power of God today. As I said, I'm kicking off a brand new series called Kingdom Culture. Um, it's something that has been in my heart for probably the last four or five months. Uh, I've been planning to kick it off for quite some time. I've planned my sermon series and messages and just really believe that the word we're going to focus on this year, and I, I, I usually roll it out in March, um, is, is going to be kingdom. That's going to be our, year, our word this year. It's like, God, we just, we're going to focus on the kingdom of God. And what does that mean to my life? What does it mean uh, to have a culture of the kingdom? What does it mean to live out the kingdom? Because see, what I really believe is that I don't think people reject God. You got a lot of atheists and people that are agnostic, nuns. Those are a whole generation of people that are coming up said, I don't, I don't affiliate with any religious group. I'm just none. I'm nothing. Well, the truth is every person was born with a God-shaped heart in your life. So you can say you're nothing, but that there's a piece of eternity that is longing for eternity that you're longing for God. And I've never met someone that didn't want God. What they didn't want was a misrepresentation of God. And so the more we get to experience and consume our life and the culture of God and realize what it's really all about, the more we can demonstrate what that culture is to the world around us. And so I'm going to take my time on this series. And today, if I were to title the message, it's, it's called Unshakable. Unshakable. Now, I don't know about you, but 2020 kind of shook me up. Anybody with me? It's, uh, it, it was a year unlike any other year that I have ever experienced in my 43 young years of living. All the young people said, my God, he's old. And all the old people said, my God, he's young. Right. And I, I have never experienced a year like we had this past year. It was full of surprises. It, if I'm candid, caught me off guard. I thought I was stronger in areas of my life that I found out I really wasn't that strong in. Or at least that there were still some deficiencies. I mean, come on, somebody. How, how many parents realize maybe I'm not quite the parent that I thought I was? Maybe husbands and wives, you're like, man, I thought my marriage was a little bit stronger. I thought, I thought my personal disciplines were a little bit stronger, right? Up, up until last year, I've been working out three years straight. COVID hits, I ain't touched a weight one in almost a year. I'm like, oh, yeah, no. Nah. I'm doing the whole COVID bod. Come on, somebody. That's my workout plan. Why? Just the discipline of my life kind of fell off to the side. And, and even the way that I think that it's interesting because as a Christian, I would say mature Christian, you overcome a lot of thoughts and the pattern of thinking that you really had God deliver you out of. How many of you found in 2020, you kind of went back to some of those thoughts, right? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but even like fear, like I don't ever struggle with fear, but I found myself this year struggling with the emotion of fear in a way that I had never experienced before. And I, I realized this when I went to the doctor's office. It was in July. I had to go get some blood work. No big deal. Put on the face mask. I'm at the doctor's office right there in Sugar Land. And I check in and the lady says, Mr. Kyle, you can have a seat. We'll call you back when we're ready. No big deal. Sitting in the waiting room. There's nobody in the waiting room. It's great. I'm watching like the Home Garden Channel or something. It's awesome. Then all of a sudden, a man walks in, has a mask, checks in at the very front. And she says, great, sir. We'll call you back when you're ready. Just have a seat. Now, I'm the only person in the entire place. Wasn't super big, probably about 15 chairs. And that man decides to not sit over there or over there or over there, but right here. Out of all the places that he could sit, he chose not six feet away, not 10 feet away, but right here, like right beside me. And I remember I got offended. What do you, now I didn't say this to him, now I got to smile. Now you can't see my smile, but you can see my eyes. How many know we can see what you, your face is doing by your eyes? And I'm like, hey, 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 this ain't six feet away. And, and I'm like, and I just kind of got a little uncomfortable. I don't know if he saw it. He eventually got up and moved over. And I thought, you know what? Just three months earlier, we would have never thought twice about having someone sit right beside me. Here I am sitting in the office and I'm afraid to have someone who's wearing a mask sit next to me. And in fact, I'm gonna get a little offended. Why? Because I'm operating in fear. 
And I just realized, I felt like the Lord said, what in the world? See, we, we've allowed ourselves to be in it so long it's transforming us. But we can't allow the world on the outside to transform us on the inside. And I think we as Christians, and I'm, I'm going to talk to those of you that Anchor Bend is your home. And, you know, I, I believe that though this pandemic has changed us forever, though it's disrupted us, that we can live life differently, regardless of what your year looked like. Because I've talked to a lot of people and I, I realize, you know, some people say, Pastor, this was the toughest year of my entire life. I mean, that's, that's a real situation. Lost my job. Like, don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. I don't know how I'm going to feed my family. I mean, think about social distancing. I mean, what that whole term, the whole term, social distancing, social isolation, like you were never, and, and this is how crazy the whole pandemic is. And as a believer, we've got to understand that there is another way for us to live and think and act is that the whole premise is that we would not be around people, no social interaction. Well, guess who loves for us to have no social interaction with people? The devil. Why? Because he can pick us off if we're isolated and alone. Just isolate it. Well, I'm watching online. Look, I'm grateful you're watching online. But the Bible says don't forsake the gathering of yourselves. Like at some point, we gotta, we gotta continue to be the church and thank God for the online church that is with us and thank God for Zoom calls. But there's gotta be a day we can't live our entire life on a screen. We can't live every single moment without the social interaction of believers that God's called us to live this life with. But think about the canceling of events. All my young people, you know, everybody likes to go out to concerts and closing down of restaurants. I mean, think about 2020. Did you ever imagine restaurants would be closed? Did you ever imagine church would be closed? Now, maybe in another country, maybe somewhere else, but not in the United States of America. You mean they would make us not gather together? Who would have ever imagined? And yet that's what we faced. School closures. I mean, think about 2020, I, I, maybe, I mean, I don't know if I have any parents who's like, 2020, that's my year. I'm going to homeschool. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the leap. No, ain't nobody walked into it saying, oh, let me, hey, come on, just stay right here. I'm going to homeschool you. I mean, there are some homeschool families, but the majority of people are like, no, 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 no. I still got to work. And what's the conundrum of that, right? You have to stay at home and you got to work while you manage online school. Come on, who thought you'd have to do both and do it in the same house? And for most people in the same rooms, you're like, oh, I just need a break. You know, you're trying to Zoom call your work and your kid comes running through the room. They're throwing toys. You're like, please, it's so important. They don't understand the concept of important. They just understand the concept of now. I want it now. I'm coming now. Mom, can you help me now? Dad, can you help me now? I mean, who would have ever imagined the craziness, the travel bans? Can't go here, can't go there. If you do, you got to quarantine. Think about that. If you've been quarantined, you know how crazy and miserable that is. Staying in one place for 14 days. Well, now they've got it down to 10, thank God. But you about want to go crazy, stir crazy. You, you know what I mean? Some of you a little mental crazy, but most of us stir crazy. Come on. And you, you think, well, Netflix is no good. Well, the reason you think that's because you don't watch everything on Netflix. Jump into a new stream. It's just, it, it really caught us by surprise. Students in virtual classrooms. Think about the elderly. I was talking to Pastor Kevin. He works with nursing homes and oversees several nursing homes. And I asked him, tell me about the impact to the elderly, especially in the nursing home in. He said, well, you know, of course, people get sick. And he said, but I've not had as many of the elderly die or pass away from COVID. He said, but you know what I have had? I've had them pass away from what seems like loneliness. He told me a story about a man who was the life of one of their nursing homes, running up and down, connecting with people. He called him listeners, social life. When COVID happened, he couldn't get out of his room, had to stay by himself, couldn't interact with people, couldn't go and do all the joking around that he was used to, walking around. He was locked into a room and he said what ultimately happened, it wasn't, it wasn't a couple of weeks later, he had no pre-existing conditions, but passed away from what seemed like loneliness. 
this pandemic faced with us as a society saying, man, it doesn't, you know, yeah, we can all be impacted in a negative way, but there are other consequences and unintended consequences from what's happening. And yet in the midst of this, if you find yourself saying it's been a tough year, man, I was thinking about this. I don't know if you realize this or not, but alcoholism and drug use are on the rise. They're the highest they've ever been. The abuse, the use, domestic violence, the highest it's ever been. And yet we have church attendance, the lowest it's ever been. I'll tell you what, the devil is wreaking havoc on marriages and families. And if you go into 2021 and you don't grab something from the word of God to help carry you into it, what'll happen is your life doesn't change. The things in you and around you don't change. It's just the date on the calendar that changes. But as believers, we've gotta say, I choose to make this year a year where something inside changes and regardless of what happens on the outside, I choose to step into God's kingdom and the way of doing what he does. Look, if you, that's you, maybe you're watching online and you didn't feel comfortable coming today. I'm so grateful you're a part of it. Maybe you're here and you're, there, there's, there's worries and concerns. Maybe it's like, man, what's 2021 gonna bring? Maybe, maybe you're worried about, is Jesus coming back in 2021? Maybe you're worried about, do I, will I have a job? And how are my kids, are they gonna be safe? Is somebody gonna catch COVID in my family? Is, am, am I gonna lose my house? Am I going to lose my car? I want you to know you're in the right place at the right time because God's word has the answer for you and your situation and your life. God loves you. God cares for you. God's here for you. And today he has answers for you. In Matthew chapter six, verse 25, I was reading this passage over the last couple of months and just studying as I prepared for this series and so one of my favorite passages, I used to speak it and declare it, and I still do, but I memorized it as a young adult, and I would say this passage without really understanding the implications of this passage in my life. And so I'm excited to share it with you because I feel like the Lord's really given me some revelation that's going to impact us today. In verse 25, it says, that's why I tell you not to worry. This is Jesus speaking. The situation that's happened, look, don't worry. I mean, no, worry's not from God. He didn't want us to be worried about tomorrow and what the future holds. He said, don't worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? What he's saying here is life is about more than just providing the necessities of life. Like, look, there's more to it than this. And, and look, I don't want you to worry about the basics. I don't want you to worry about the necessities. It's almost as if he stepped out of heaven in his word to talk to us as we're stepping into 2021. And some of you are like, God, I don't know how I'm gonna pay my bills. Don't know how I'm gonna put food on the table. I don't know how I'm gonna put gas in my car. I want you to know God cares. Doesn't matter what tomorrow brings. Doesn't matter what yesterday brought. God cares. And he speaks to us and he says, look, I don't want you to worry about it. See, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know the God that holds tomorrow. And his word is true. And when he speaks to us, don't worry about it, there's a reason. Look at verse 27, he just reiterates it again. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No, of course not. Not at all. No, no matter what you're worried about, it can add, your worrying just consumes your life. Worry's like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't take you anywhere. So we just worry in our mind. We just, we let it sit there and exhaust our energy, exhaust our peace, exhaust our emotional strength and fortitude. And then verse 31, look at what he says. He just reiterates it again. Don't worry. Don't worry about those things. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. Look at this passage. Look at what he says. Those things, the worrying for those things, they dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. What a powerful statement that in the midst of this pandemic, 
that if we have found ourselves consumed with the necessities of life, the Bible says, look, you've really begun to live like an unbeliever. The power of Almighty God fully infused inside of every single believer, and yet we have stooped down from heaven's kingdom to operate in earthly kingdom and to be just like the world. And so when they see a church, here's the challenge. We don't look any different than them. They're looking for hope. They're looking for peace. They're looking for joy. They're looking for strength. And yet the church has nothing to give because we've stooped down to the same thought level as unbelievers. Who he says, but your heavenly father, he already knows you have need of it. I love God's statement there. Think about this. I, he's, I just feel like he's stepping from heaven and says, look, I got you. I got you. Look, don't worry about it. I, I got it. Look, everything's going to be okay. Doesn't matter what yesterday brought. Doesn't matter what today brings. Doesn't matter what tomorrow brings. I've got you. And then look at verse 33. This is the passage that I memorized as a young adult that I don't think I fully understood, but I'm going to help us understand today. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Now, remember he's saying, look, don't worry about the basic necessities of life. Don't worry about what tomorrow holds. Look, just, I want you to do this one thing. Seek the kingdom of God above everything. First, primary. It's not just on the list. It's at the top of the list. And then he says, and live righteously. What's that mean? That means you live a right, right, righteous life. You live the life God's called us to live. And then look at what he says. And he will give you everything. Not some things, not a few things, not a couple of things. He says everything, everything that you need. So you're stepping into 2021 and you're allowing the fear of the unknown to consume your life. And God's saying, look, if you let the kingdom consume your life, I'll take care of all the unknown. And I promise you this, that God does a lot better with the unknown than we do. And so why not just give it into God's hands and say, okay, God, I'm going to seek your kingdom above all else. And someone says, well, what's kingdom? Well, a basic understanding of kingdom is God's way of doing it. So whatever you're going to do, just do it God's way. You got to get his perspective. You got to understand how he would approach that situation and say, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to put you first. I think the challenge with a lot of Christians many times, and even in my own life, is that I want to do it my way, see if it works. And then when it doesn't, I'm frustrated. And then God's way is the last way. I'm like, well, that didn't work and that didn't work. And okay, I'll come and do it this way. That's not what God says. He says, look, do it first primary, like, like, like at the top of your list, put my kingdom to work in your life. But I think the challenge is that the concept of kingdom is so foreign. It's foreign to us. We're Americans. And so we don't know a whole lot about kingdom and how a kingdom operates. We, we, we know about a democracy where we get to vote that it's for the people, by the people. But I need you to know the kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's a theocracy. There is a king. His name is Jesus. He sits on a throne. We are saved. So become his sons and daughters or subjects. And the key is he's wanting to bring heaven to earth. That we would be the ambassadors of Jesus Christ to this world. So why do we keep living the old life when he's got a new life for us? Kingdom, the concept of kingdom, it's foreign. So I like my Spanish class in high school. Come on, how many had to take a foreign language in high school? My son is in high school and they've got to take a foreign language class. Well, I took the Spanish class and what I found was interesting about the Spanish class, it wasn't just about a foreign language, it was about a foreign culture. Like they're gonna teach you the customs and the culture and the language of Spanish people, South America, Central America. I mean, it's just, it's this immersion into this, this whole culture. And I'll never forget the first day I, I walked into class and <laughs> I knew something was wrong when I sat down and the teacher, her name was Miss Rodriguez. She started, I thought she'd start the class. Hello, my name's Miss Rodriguez. I'll be your Spanish teacher today. That's not how she started. She said, hola, como esta soy? <laughs> Come on, you know, I, I'm like, what? 
hola, hola, what? Yeah. She said, mi nombre es Señora Rodriguez. <laughs> tu so profesora de español. And I'm like, did she just speak in tongues? Like what in the world just happened right there? Like, like I don't understand the word. Like, like I thought, I knew it. I was in trouble. She started speaking Spanish from the first moment she spoke in class. And what I didn't know then, but I know now, is that she understood if I was going to learn a Spanish language and a culture and customs, the only way to do it is you got to be immersed in that language. You got to be immersed in that culture. You got to be immersed in the customs so that you can actually understand and live out that Spanish culture. I learned something, that if I was going to pass that test, if I was going to get everything out of that class, I couldn't just show up either. It wasn't just about, listen, listen, first couple of days, didn't understand it. Second week, I'm like, I'm out. I don't think I can do it. I'm just not going to graduate. But I kept going back. And after a while, one month, two months, three months, you know what happened? I began to be pretty good at Spanish. And then what I learned was I got to open up the textbook. I actually got to read it. I got to study the vocabulary. I got to study the concepts. Like it took some work. And you know, if you're doing really good, you actually get some friends and you practice it. Come on, somebody. You're like, hey, let me practice my. And you're like, hola. They're like, hola. <laughs> no, no, uh, no hablo espanol. Come on. And you just practice it. You go back and forth. Right. Why? Because I need to be around people that speak. Then, then you go to someone's house who just speaks Spanish. I mean, no, you better learn some Spanish then. Come on. Donde esta el baño? Baño. That's where it's the bathroom. That's important when you're in a foreign country. You know, I, I learned greater. I had a greater understanding of the Spanish culture by actually going on mission trips. It's one of the things I actually used to be pretty fluent in Spanish. And so, but what we do is we'd spend summers in Belize and Nicaragua and Venezuela and Peru. And so when you spend a long time in those countries, I mean, you don't have a choice. Why? Because everybody there speaks Spanish. So if you don't learn how to speak it, if you don't learn the customs and the culture, you're going to be in a heap of trouble. And I wonder if that's not a picture of us as Christians. We want the kingdom of God. We want the power of God, but we don't know the culture of God. We don't know the language of God. We don't know the customs of God. And so you get saved, you come into church and maybe you're watching online and you give your life to Christ. You're what the Bible calls born again. And so you sit in the service and praise God. The Bible actually says your citizenship is transferred to heaven. So though you were a citizen of this earth, you're no longer a citizen of the earth. You're a sojourner. That means you're just simply passing through. Your citizenship is now in heaven. And what a tragedy to have a citizenship in a country in a kingdom, and yet you don't know that kingdom or how it operates. So you come to church and you come one week, pastor's talking about this new life. Yeah, I know he did something in me, I can sense it, I can feel it, and you're talking about how do you gotta live a new life, it's foreign to you. And then what happens, you, you try to put a little bit of the world with a little bit of God, and then you're frustrated and wondering why it doesn't work. Well, imagine someone trying to learn Spanish and not studying, not going to class, but playing hooky, say, no, nah, I'll catch you. I'll show up on the test days, not trying to understand concepts, not gathering with people that speak Spanish, not doing anything to immerse themselves in the culture of Spanish people, and then showing up at the test, taking the test. And how many know you can't fake it if you don't know Spanish? Come on, somebody. You're just up a creek. Just is what it is. And so you take the test and you fail it, and the teacher gives you the grade back, and you're mad. You're like, you're mad at the teacher. You're mad at everybody else. Why? Because you didn't teach me. She's like, you didn't show up. Well, you weren't a good teacher. Well, you didn't try to learn. 
Did you, did you ever try to do flashcards? How many ever do flashcards? You ever, I mean, what'd you do? It's like nothing. So you did nothing, but you were expecting to walk in and pass the test of life. How many Christians come to church, but don't do anything to understand the kingdom of God, the language of God, the culture of God, and then they go into life's tests and they fail and they're mad at God. They get mad at me. Imagine that. I didn't do nothing. They're like, pastor, he shouldn't have been talking about money. He shouldn't have been talking about this. He should, well, what you want me to talk about? What you want, I, I, I just want to talk about the kingdom. And so you get mad at everybody else, blame everybody else, but we never take responsibility and say, hey, listen, maybe I'm the reason that I didn't pass life's test. Kingdom of God, kingdom of God. Let me, let me show you how this plays out. I think it's so important for us to see how it plays out. So if the kingdom of God is going to be what I pursue above all else, what's first and primary, not just on the list, but at the top of the list, that really means God's way of operating, God's way of doing what it is that he does. And so you say, well, pastor, Matthew 6, 33, said, if I'll seek the kingdom of God above all else, that he would provide everything that I need. So pastor, I need, I need some peace. God gonna provide peace? Yes, as long as you do it his way first. You see, it's like, okay, I need peace. Okay, well, don't go do it your old way because your old way don't work. That's why you got saved because whatever you thought was the way to get there was a counterfeit. And so it brought you to the church. God touches you, fills your life with this power. And then we try to get peace through a relationship. We try to get peace through job security. We try to get peace through the political party we voted for. We try to get peace through everything other than the way God set it up for us to get peace. So look what he says in Philippians 4, 6. It's God's kingdom. It says, don't be anxious about anything. So anxiety doesn't come from God. He said, but in everything by, everybody say that word together, prayer. Say it together. Say prayer. Prayer. Oh, oh, through prayers how I get peace. See, people want peace, but they don't open their Bible and pray. People want peace, but they don't spend no time with God and worship and sing and then pray. Like they don't, they don't do anything with God in regards to spending time with him, but they want the benefits that he has to offer. Look, he says, then through supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. So you want peace? You got to seek the kingdom of God above all else. So what's that mean, pastor? Well, if you want peace every day, how many know you got to pray every day? And here's where you go even further. You just say, God, I'm asking you to give me peace. And then you begin to thank him for what you've asked has already been done. So God, I thank you. In this relationship, there is strife, there is turmoil, but God, I've asked you for peace. So I'm asking you and thanking you in advance for the peace that's going to consume my heart. God, I just praise you. God, I just worship you. God, I just love you. That's the beauty of worship. Worship is this prophetic Utterance, like we sing something like hope alive, and you're like, I ain't got no hope. Yeah, yeah, no, no, but that's okay. You do, it's just, it hadn't manifested yet. So we're gonna, we're gonna declare it, we're gonna speak it, we're gonna believe it, and I'm telling you what, the kingdom of God begins to invade your life. Pastor, I need some joy. God's gonna give me joy, he will, if you seek his way of doing it first. So what's he say about joy? Look at what he says in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in my new car. You fill me with joy in my new house. You fill me with joy in my promotion. No, no, where do we get filled with joy? Why are y'all so quiet? It's in his presence. Everybody say presence. And so his words, it's in his presence. And so what we think as a believer is other things will give us joy. They give you happiness. Happiness is based on external circumstances. Joy comes from within and nobody can steal it. Nobody can take it. Nobody can rob it. Doesn't matter what I'm walking through. Why? Because the presence of almighty God gives me joy in the midst of struggles and trials. Maybe somebody said, pastor, I need to get my bills paid. I just need God to pay my bills. And listen, hey, I just want you to know the struggle's real. 
I, man, I have been there. I, I told the first service, you know, I, I know what it's like to have 10 cents in my pocket, wondering how I'm going to get to work. We, we don't have any money in a bank account. They're all overdrawn. I was my early 20s. And I'm like, Lord, how am I, I, know, I know my gas tank is on E. Now, some of you ladies, you live with that. That's your reality always. But as I was just praying, Lord, please let those fumes multiply. Just let them multiply. Just give me from here. And guess what he did? He got me from here to there. I never forget one time, Phyllis and I, it was a hard season. And it was in that same season of life that our refrigerator broke down and we didn't have money to replace it, but I mean, no, you got to have some milk. I need a refrigerator. So I, I didn't know what else to do. I laid my hands on the refrigerator and God is my witness. I prayed over the refrigerator and it started working. Like it was dead as a dead, dead, dead before. And I'm like, Jesus, either this works or it don't. I'm a tither. Come on, somebody. I'm like, Jesus, what I got to lose? Started working. Never once replaced that refrigerator. Never replaced it. Why? Because I operate in his kingdom. That's what Malachi 3.10, look, I, I need to pay my bills. Look at what he says. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. You need to pay your bills. Remember, we're talking about kingdom culture. We're talking about kingdom of God. I'm not talking about what you think or your opinion. How many know God doesn't need your opinion? In fact, he's doing pretty good. How many know if you knew everything and all the answers and, and you could understand fully the ways of God, he wouldn't be a God at all. You would be the God. And so God says, listen, you want, you want, you want your needs met? Then this is, what, this is how you do it. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. That's the first 10% into the storehouse. Scholars know that's, that's the church. That's the local church. So there'll be food enough in my temple. If you do this, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open up the windows of heaven for you. Pour out such a blessing, you won't have room enough to contain it. And then I love it. It's the only passage in the Bible where God says, prove me, test me, try me. Prove me. See, the, the problem with someone who doesn't tithe is you can't afford to tithe. And the problem with, not the problem, but the, the beauty of a tither is I can't afford not to tithe. You understand the blessing that's associated with the tithe. You understand that I'm going to operate in kingdom principles. It's not about what I think or what I feel or what I, I, I have an opinion about. It's about God. What did you say? I'm going to jump into your kingdom so that it supersedes the natural circumstances and situations that I find myself in. That, does this start making sense where you're like, God, I just need your help? Yeah, but you can't try to get God to bless your way and then ask for his blessing. It's like, no, no, God, it's, I'm going to do it your way. You only bless the way that you author. Then, you know, I'm thinking about your marriage. I know there's a lot of people struggling in your marriage. God, I need you to heal my marriage. Oh, God, fix her. I, I know you feel me. God, just correct her. God, just change him. Lord, he has lost his way. God, I'm asking you, just fix him. Just change him. God, you better do something with your boy or I'm going to, right? I mean, that, that's our mentality with Mary. And so we come to church, we're believers, we're born again, and yet we want to do it our way and wonder why marriage didn't get any better. But the kingdom of God actually has a way. His way says this, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now listen, he didn't say, love your wife when she deserves it. Love your wife when she cooks that good meal. Love your wife when she does all the, no, no. It says what? Love your wives. Come on, husbands. How many of us would have a better marriage if we just learned to love without strings? Ain't that right, Phyllis? Just love our wives. Just a, just an overflow. But it's God's way. And it's not easy. Come on, don't lie, married folk. Look, anybody's not married, you know, but married folk, sometimes, you know, you don't even like them. You like, love them? I don't even know why I married you. Come on, I don't even like you. And then look at what he says to you, wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So you want to do the kingdom function, the kingdom 
mentality, the kingdom culture, the kingdom way, the one that he says, if you do it my way, then I'll provide everything you need. You want restoration? You got to go back. I, I'm, I'm convinced the problem with self-helps is that we go look for the answer in a self-help book that's authored by a person from this earth instead of going to the one place, the one place where the God of heaven wrote the book for us to live our lives. When's the last time we Googled what we needed over on Google and we found some good self-helps, but When's the last time we went to the Bible app and we Googled peace, we Googled joy, we Googled finances, we Googled all the things that we need. And yet here we wonder as the church, why the church is defeated, why we're shaken up. I mean, I'm preaching to myself, man. I, I think the best messages you preach are the ones that God has challenged me. How can I look out there when the kingdom of God is in here and I can clearly read what God speaks for me to do? It's not a question. I, I think the challenge is we don't always agree. We say, yeah, I don't agree. Well, he didn't ask your opinion. Like a law is a law. You cannot agree with gravity all day long, but go walk off a building. How many know you're going to fall and hit the ground? The laws of God, the kingdom of God, it's unshakable. So we have to learn, God, I must seek you first. And, and that's what I love about 21 days of prayer and fasting. We do it twice a year as a church. We come together and we say, we're going to pray together. In, uh, in January, it's prayer and fasting. August is prayer and feasting. We're not in the feasting, guys. It's the fasting. And that's where we come together and we just say, look, for the next 21 days, what are we going to do? We're going to focus on God. Why? Because when we focus on God, when we pray, when we fast, it builds his kingdom inside of us. See, God wants to build his kingdom in you before he can build his kingdom through you. And I think there are so many people, so many times we want to go do the work of God, but we don't have the kingdom of God. So we pray, we'll do 21 days prayer fasting. We're gonna do some corporate prayer. Uh, we're gonna do time on tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. We go to the Fort Bend Dream Center. If you're comfortable, come out there. There's plenty of space, social distance. We've got disinfecting all the stuff. And man, it's gonna be great. From six to seven, we pray together. We focus on God. Some of you, you've come to God and, and yet here you've, you've never really spent any time praying. You come to church, but in the mornings you just get busy. Life happens. 21 days of prayer and fasting is a time for us to say, I don't care how busy I am. I'm going to focus on your kingdom. God, I'm going to put you first. I'm not just going to put you on the list. I'm putting you at the top of the list. Does that mean you're going to have to sacrifice some sleep? Yes. Does it mean it's going to be a little bit challenging to do all the, the, the logistics for the family? family and the kids? Yes. But anything worth something is challenging. And so we come together and we're going to pray. And somebody said, well, I never prayed an hour. Well, it's okay. Come, come out there or check us out online, anchorbin.com. Join us. What we'll do is we do a worship song. I share a nugget. We spend 30 minutes praying, come back together, sing a worship song, and then we do targeted prayer. We pray over the nation. We pray over our community. We pray over our family, pray over our church. We pray over every aspect, and we say, God, build your kingdom in us, and then come and build your kingdom through us. And maybe you can't make it at that time for whatever reason. Just do the first 15. If you're new to the faith, I have learned it's better to be consistent than to try to do something that you just can't do. If you say, man, I, I just, I, I, I don't know, prayer for an hour. Look, first 15, you wake up first 15 minutes. Turn on a worship song from Spotify. First five minutes, you turn on, you have first 15 minutes of your day. The first five minutes, turn on a song from Spotify. The next five minutes, you read the word of God. The next five minutes, you simply pray what you just read. God, what I just read, let it work in me. Let it work through me. God, I pray your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life today. It's building the kingdom. Prayer should be your first resort. Your first response, not your last resort. I love that. Pastor Chris, my pastor, taught me that about a, seven years ago when he said that. I thought, man, how many times is prayer the last resort, not our first response? Then fasting. Someone says, well, tell me about fasting. Let me just explain. I know there's quite a few people that are new to fasting. Fasting is where we voluntarily go without. And most fasts are done with food. That's really the proper way to fast. 
You say, I'm going to go without food. I'm going to go without something that I love for the one that I love even more. God, I love you. God, I'm going to voluntarily make myself weak. So God, when I'm weak, I'm asking you to be strong. When I want to eat, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to spend time with you. And then the power of God, the strength of God, the grace of God, there's an exchange that takes place. When we fast and pray, there's an acceleration that happens in the supernatural. It's amazing to see how the going without, the voluntary weakness, it puts us in a position. Some of you say, I haven't heard from God in a long time. I bet I could go back in your life and say, I wonder if you haven't fasted. Anytime I feel God is distant, I just go in and do a two-day fast, three-day fast, one-day fast. There's something about it. It puts you in a posture of need, puts you in a posture of humility, and it says, God, I'm more desperate for you than anything else that I could ever need. God begins to speak clearly. Four types of fast. There's a full fast, 21 days. Pastor, somebody said, pastor, you mean people are going to go 21 days without food? Yes. And if you're spiritually mature, I would encourage you to go for it. You say, well, I don't know if I can do it. Well, you'll never know unless you try. And so you just go 21 days without food. If you've got a health condition, of course, consult your doctor. But the reality is stretch yourself. And say, look, I'm not going to eat any food, but I'll drink water, drink juice. And you do that for 21 days. And every meal, instead of going to eat, you go and read your Bible. You go spend time in worship. You spend time with God. It cultivates the kingdom of God within you. Then there's a partial fast. So I'm not going to do all food, but there's a way to fast that's a partial fast. And really... People call it the Jewish fast because when they would fast, they would fast breakfast and lunch and then eat after dark. And so if you want to do a partial fast, you say, I've never fasted before. It's a great way to step into fasting. You say, look, I'm not going to eat breakfast, uh, maybe not going to eat lunch too, but I'll eat dinner when I get home when it's dark. That's called a partial fast. Now look, don't just fast breakfast and sleep through breakfast. I give you breakfast. Mm. What time you get up? 10 a.m. Where's my lunch? No, 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 no. If you, if you go fast breakfast, I mean, no, you need to pray through breakfast. You need to spend that extra time with God. And so it's a great way to fast. Then you've got the Daniel's fast. No meats, no sweets, no breads. You just do fruits and vegetables and juices. And you do that for 21 days. Those are really your three main types of fasting. And I want to encourage everyone to do one of them. And then there's a fourth type, but this I always think needs to be added to what you're doing. And that's called a soul fast. A soul fast is where you cleanse your soul. You go without the thing that you love for the one that you love even more. So it doesn't matter what your favorite television show is. Doesn't matter if it's Will of Fortune. Come on, people. All my Will of Fortunes or Jeopardy. <laughs> it was a joke. They, so here we go. We say, I'm not going to watch it. I'm going I'm to spend my time with you, God. Maybe you go without a podcast. Maybe you go without news. And you say, I'm going to go without the news that the world offers, and I'm gonna dive into the good news that God offers. And for 21 days, you just, what you're doing is you're detoxing your soul. You're just saying, God, I need you more than what I have been feeding my soul. Young people, maybe you go without a video game. Maybe you say, God, I'm not gonna play video games for the next 21 days. I just, I'm, I'm gonna spend time praying. God, I'm gonna spend time with you. I mean, sometimes we do a modified. My kids, you know, I always have them do something. They'll go all week with no media and then they can have it on the weekend. It's part of their fast. They're joining in. They're saying, look, during the week, we're going to give up what we love for the one we love even more. I want to encourage you as we get ready to close. I want to challenge you. We can step into 2021 just the same way we left 2020. Or we can step in and say, God, I realize that the only way this year is gonna be different is if I focus on your kingdom. That God, if I put you first, God, if I go in and I immerse myself this year, the next 21 days, we say, God, I'm gonna immerse myself in prayer. I'm gonna immerse myself in reading your word. I'm gonna immerse myself in, in listening to worship. And God, I choose to learn how you do it and then allow it to impact my life and to live it out. And I wonder, I wonder, can you imagine what would happen? I mean, imagine what would happen if a church really grabbed a hold of this and really said, God, 
I know how everybody else does it, but God, I don't want to do it. I know it doesn't produce the life that I know you've called me to. But imagine a church that says, we're going we're gonna to live out this kingdom. We're gonna study the kingdom. We're gonna, we're gonna talk the language of the kingdom. We're gonna practice the customs and the values of the kingdom. We're gonna have the thought life of the kingdom and we're gonna let it consume every aspect of our life. I wonder if in the midst of all the pandemic, in the midst of all the craziness of, is school going on in person this week or is it shut down? Are we having church or are we not having church? Am I gonna make it financially or am I not? I wonder if in the middle of all of that, the world would look at a church in Rosenberg, Texas and around this nation who are watching online and say, man, there is something different about those people. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't matter what happens. They respond differently. They act differently. Heaven is invading earth through those people. And I wonder if the people around us would then say, I want that. I don't know how you have joy, but I don't. I don't know how you have peace, but I know I don't. I think there are Christians that would wake up and say, man, I'm doing this. I, I, I'm afraid we've fallen asleep in 2020 and my job is to wake us up. My job is to inspire us. My job is to challenge us to make the priority of our life. God, we're going to bring heaven to earth. Please stand up. Let me just pray over us. You know, as we are closing, I'm so grateful to have been able to share the message with you. I really feel like I'm on an assignment for our church. 2020 was great in a lot of ways. Look, we got the building. We, if you're new here, we just purchased our Richmond campus in the middle of COVID. So God is on the, it's like it's on the move. You know, I remember the beginning of 2020, my whole theme, I, I always have a theme was forward, moving forward. And yet I felt so many times that I was going backwards. And I felt like the Lord really spoke to me. Sometimes you gotta go backwards to go forwards. And I think it's, it's the image of a slingshot. It's like heaven's slingshot. And what God has done is, it's a positioning of your life for breakthrough, it's the position for God to do what only, see, if, if you could do it on your own, you'd get all the glory, but what God is doing is he's pulling you back. And if we don't understand the concept of kingdom, we'll sabotage what God's doing. We'll think like everybody, we'll respond like everybody, we'll act like everybody, and God's like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. If you know the kingdom, I'm setting you up because we know that God works all things for the good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That's a kingdom principle that's found in Romans. And if you know that, you just know, God, I don't understand. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't even seem like you're around, but God, I know it's a divine setup. That setup, setback is a setup for a comeback. And he's just pulling your life back, getting ready to launch you out. And Father, we ask, do what only you can do. Move supernatural. I wonder if you could just tell him, God, I, I, it's okay to tell him what you need. Tell him, God, I feel this and I'm experiencing this. God, I, I need. We have legitimate needs. God, I need peace. God, I need restoration. Tell him, I need you to heal this relationship. God, help give me wisdom and guidance. And Can you just talk to him and just say, God, I... This is where you take it and make it personal. God, I need you. God, I'm desperate. God, change the mentality that I have found myself trapped in. Get your thoughts, your ways. And Father, I pray that you would seal the message 
in every person's life. God, seal what you have done. God, I pray that it falls on good soil, that God, instead of going to Google the solution, we go to the Bible, that God, we would begin to search out your word like never before, that God, we would immerse ourselves into a culture that is foreign, into a culture that to us, we don't even fully understand. But God, the more we immerse ourselves in it, the more we come to church, the more we gather with people that are in the same way that we are, that are seeking your kingdom, God, we will have an understanding. Move in your church. Demonstrate your power in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Some of you may be here today or watching online and you know you don't have a relationship with God. When I talk about doing life on your own and your own way and you say, that's me. It, it hadn't worked. It's, it's not working. It hadn't worked. And if I were to ask you if you had a relationship with God, you'd say, nope, I don't have one. Maybe you want one or maybe you did, but you're just not connected anymore. I want to challenge you that today God is in this place, that this is your moment I'll never forget when God saved me, when I had my born again experience. I was out at my house. It was 1230 at night. It was February 7, 2003. I was strung out on drugs and alcohol. I wasn't looking for God, but God came looking for me. That's the kind of moment that is in this place right now that someone might have invited you. You might have thought it was just another service, but God said, I came and he's been messing with your mind and messing with your heart. And you feel right now you can sense him just in your heart. So what do you got to do? You got to respond. You say, I remember that night. I knew God was there. I knew God came looking for me. But at that moment, I had to choose. In fact, it was at that moment I went and told Phyllis, hey, God's in this place. She kind of laughed at me. I said, no, I'm telling you, God's in this place. You got to kick everybody out, let a bunch of people out. But what I realized was the defining moment was not God in the place. The defining moment was me responding to God in the place. This is your moment to what, pastor, to respond. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. If that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're watching online. Would you be bold enough just to raise your hand as an act of surrender? You say, that's me, pastor. That's me. I want to be included in that prayer of surrender. I'm ready right now to go all in. If you're online, just put, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Come on, if that's you, just come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Tell them how proud you are. So good. Pray this with me. Then we're going to get ready to sing this with all of our hearts. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life. I give you everything. Forgive me of all of my sins. Wash away my past. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Come on, church. Let's sing this.